Jesus before Pilate. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, His blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers mocked Jesus. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand, then knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of Jews, they said. They spat on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. The crucifixion of Jesus. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. 
He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. The death of Jesus. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tomb after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there, watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Well, good morning. It's really good to be together on Good Friday, isn't it? And to hear the story again, the story that's inspired all those artworks. I don't know if you noticed all the artworks story that people have been telling for 2,000 years. But what kind of story is this story? I used to be an English teacher. If you were in my English class, I would have said, well, in this story, the hero Jesus dies. So this story is a tragedy, isn't it? It is a tragedy. But maybe there's more to say. Maybe if you were a history teacher, a historian, you'd look at the evidence and say, wow, this guy, Jesus, really did live 2,000 years ago, and we can see that he was executed on a cross. This is a tragedy, and it's a true story. What a terrible miscarriage of justice, you might say. What terrible abuse of power we can see. What terrible failure of government. An innocent man dies like this. Or maybe in that last reading, you started to think, hang on, what kind of story is this really? The sky goes dark, the rocks split open, the graves open, people rising from the dead, the curtain of the temple splits in two. Something supernatural is going on in this story too. And in the story, did you notice in verse 54, the, um, the people who have been mocking Jesus and saying, come down from the cross, you know, you say you're the son of God. When these crazy things start to happen, they're actually terrified. And they say, well, surely he was the son of God. This is a story of cosmic significance. It's God intervening in our world. 
Now, all this is true. This is a tragedy. This is a true story. This is a cosmic supernatural story. But the thing I really want us to understand today is that this Easter, this Good Friday story, is a love story. In fact, I'm going to make a, a big call and say this is the most powerful, beautiful love story ever. Well, how do you feel about love stories? Do you like them? Some of the kids do. You know, at our house, um, if we're watching TV together and there's a love story um, that comes up and people get a bit smoochy, we all, we're all grown up, as you know, in our house, but we all go, ooh, we all, and then we start blaming each other. It's your fault that that's happening in front of us right now. Okay. I don't want us to think about this love story like that because the love, when we think about love stories in our culture, we're often thinking about the stories that you see in the movies and on TV, the kind of love that's about mutual attraction or chemistry or just finding the one. It's about what you get for yourself and the good feeling, which is great if you have it, but it's not really capturing what love is. And the love of God, if you can imagine all the different kinds of love stories in the world and bring them all together, then maybe you will start to understand what God's love for us is really like. I'll give you some examples. Um, a long time ago, actually, now Rob and I were part of a church and we met a family. And the woman, the couple in this family had married quite young. And very early in the marriage, they had small children. Uh, the husband got very sick and he ended up with brain damage. And we met this family decades later. And this woman had stayed with her husband and brought up the children and loved him. She cared for him, even though he was really like a child. The man that she had married was not the man that she uh, loved for most of their life together. But this is love. This is an example of love. Kids, what about when your parents make you do your homework or take your medicine or go to bed early because you're tired? This is a love story. Do you believe me? It is. And you know what? Your parents don't actually like doing it. They don't like being unpopular with you, but they know what's good for you. And love is about doing the best thing for another person. What about what is maybe some of the most extraordinary love stories in our culture, the love that friends have for one another? You know, isn't it amazing when you're down or sick or suffering if a friend looks after you. They're not your blood relative. They take time that they could be doing something else for themselves and they take time with you. Why? Why do they do that? Not because they have to, but because they want to, because you matter to them. All of this kind of starts to give us a picture of what this love story of God is like. And what I want to do today is Look at the story a little bit together again. And at the end, I'm going to ask you if you can accept God's love for you. And I want to see if you can accept it humbly and joyfully. The two will go together. But we need to look at the story first and work out why that is. Do the kids know where the artworks up there are from? Does anyone recognise these artworks at the moment? Anyone want to yell it out? Do you know this book? This is the Jesus Storybook Bible. 
And the artworks in these are actually amazing. So these are the ones for the Good Friday story in the Jesus Storybook Bible. And the reason I want them up there is because I want to tell you about this story, about God's love, in the way that the Jesus Storybook Bible talks about God's love. At the beginning of the service, there was a verse that said, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Well, the Jesus Storybook Bible says the same thing, but in words that are kind of more imaginative and that we can um, really grasp hold of. It says that God's love for us is never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. I'll say it again. God's love for us is never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And we see all of this in the story that we've been hearing. You know, for a while, if you remember back to last Sunday, Palm Sunday, the people loved Jesus, didn't they? They welcomed him into Jerusalem on a donkey. They said, praise the king. We love this guy. But only five days later, what are the crowd shouting now? That's right, yes, crucify him. Thank you. And his closest disciples have run away. And when we read this story, we're meant to realise it's not just those people there on that day. This is a picture of the bigger reality. When we read this story, we're meant to remember and understand that all of us have turned our backs on God. We're part of this fickle crowd. Do you understand the word fickle? It means I love you today and I don't love you tomorrow. All right? All people have been like that with God. But God's love for us never stops. He's not fickle. When you see Jesus at the trial and he's refusing to answer the questions, refusing to defend himself, it's because he's going to continue his journey to the cross. He never stops loving us. God's love never stops and it never gives up. Did you notice also um, after Jesus had been beaten and mocked that um, they had to get someone to help him carry the cross? Jesus was so weak. They got Simon to carry the cross with him. Jesus, he, he was almost dead at that point, but he continued. And when he gets on the cross, he doesn't get down and save himself like everyone's telling him to. Did you hear all that that Ben was reading? Get off the cross. If you, you, know, you say you did this and that, you could save yourself. They were right. Why didn't Jesus do that? He'd raised people from the dead. He'd done all kinds of miracles. But Jesus makes a choice not to save himself. And God the Father makes a choice not to save the Son. Because if he did, it would mean he would be giving up his love for us. And his love never gives up. But maybe... You're not understanding this. And it is tricky to understand. Why does Jesus have to die for us? What has that got to do with love? Well, the Bible says that because we stopped loving and honouring God, because we stopped, we gave up on the Creator, there's a problem. And I want to ask you first, do you think it's true? Do you think we have given, do we did give up on God? Have we done things our own ways? Have we cared about ourselves before other people and stuff before other people and other people and our own lives before God? Well, if you can see that's true, then you agree with God 
and you agree with the Bible. The Bible says that God is a holy God, completely good and without sin. And so to be near to us, he needs to get rid of our sin. He needs it to be paid for. And because God loves us so much, instead of punishing us for our sin, he decides to punish himself. He pays the price for us instead. And that's how the cross works. The Jesus Storybook Bible puts it this way. When they're yelling out, can't you get down from the cross, it's not the nails that hold Jesus there. It's his love. This is a real love story. Well, God's love never stops. It never gives up. And it's an unbreakable love. In the whole story, what do you think is the most painful moment for Jesus? He's actually quite quiet, isn't he? All the way up to the cross. And just before he dies, he yells out, he cries out, he shrieks in a loud voice. And I think that's the most painful moment. What does he cry? He cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? When Jesus is dying for our sin, when he's taking the punishment for us, he seems to experience a separation from his Holy Father. It's really sad and really painful. I don't know whether you've noticed, have you read the Bible, that Jesus was really close to his Heavenly Father. It didn't matter that he'd come in a human body. He spent lots of time away praying with his Heavenly Father. He was perfect in his obedience to him. There was nothing separating him from closeness with God like we experience because of our sin. And so here in this moment, when actual darkness covers the earth and Jesus cries out in a loud voice, I think it's like the heart of God is breaking. Can you see that? That The Son and the Father are separated and their hearts are breaking. And the earth kind of starts to break up too. The rocks are splitting open. The curtain's tearing in too. It's intense. I kind of think of it like, you know, when a rock, a spaceship comes back into the earth's atmosphere? And I really, I only know this from the movies, so if you know more about this, be kind. And it starts to shake, you know, and the da- it looks dangerous. It's going to break up if it doesn't go exactly right in the right way. And, of course, the scientists have worked this out. There's precision. They, they get through and then it's done. Well, I think about this part of the story a bit like that. God had planned this from the beginning of time to rescue us like this. It's chaos. It's crazy. God's heart is breaking. But his love for us is unbreakable. He goes through this for us and his love for us is unbreakable. And so because Jesus dies for our sin, this never stopping, never giving up, unbreakable love is ours always and forever. And we know this because of the weird stuff that happens. I'm not going to talk about all of them, although that would be fun to do, and I hope you will talk about some of the things together afterwards. I'm just going to talk about that curtain that tears in two. You know, before Jesus died, only a priest who had been specially prepared and been made holy could ever go past that curtain in the temple. It was the Holy of Holies, and once a year they would go and they would 
be washed and clean and prepared and take a sacrifice for the sins of people in there. But as soon as the Holy Son of God, Jesus, puts our sin on himself and dies and the price is paid, as soon as that happened, that curtain splits in two. It's not needed anymore. Jesus puts on our sin and we put on his holiness. We can know God. We can be close to him because of what Jesus has done. And we didn't do anything to earn it, did we? Not a single thing. It's because God loves us that this can happen. Because he wants to be near us in love. And what God says to us is, come. I've done this so you can come. Come and be with me. Come and enjoy my love. I want to enjoy your love. I want us to be together now. Now, uh, quite a long time ago now, I was invited to a friend's house for dinner, a new friend. And um, I was excited because I really liked this woman. She was great. And I said, what can I bring? I don't like to turn up empty-handed. What can I bring to your place for dinner? And she said, I don't want you to bring anything. I just want you to come. I'm going to actually, I'm going to cook you something special from my culture, some food that I really want you to taste and enjoy. And we're going to sit and get to know each other. Isn't that a beautiful invitation. Except you know what happened? I forgot. And this was a long time ago and I still remember this. I got another invitation to go interstate and I went interstate. And this was before mobile phones and I didn't have her phone number. And it occurred to me, I'm supposed to be at her house tonight and I've got no way of contacting her. And yeah, she cooked food, a lot of food. And I didn't turn up. All I had to do was turn up. I didn't even have to bring anything. Okay? It's possible to miss it, right? And I guess what I want to say to you is, even though you don't earn it, we don't earn God's love, we need to step into it. You know, I first understood this when I was in grade two. Who's in grade two? I heard someone telling me that Jesus died on the cross so that my sin would be paid for and so that I could... Know and love God forever because he loved me. And it sounded like great news because I was a naughty kid. I did a lot of... Oh, I just couldn't help myself, it seemed. I tried really hard. Every day I remember thinking, oh, today I'm going to be good. But I just couldn't do it. I messed up every day. That's what I remember about my life at that stage. Messing up and being in trouble every single day. So this is really good news for me. Maybe you sit there and you think, this is good news for me too. I can be forgiven and I can be loved by God and always accepted by him if I accept that Jesus has paid the price. And if that's you today and if you've never done that before or if you've done it a hundred times before and it still makes your heart leap, do it again. You know, accept this invitation. Step into God's love. But it's true, I think, for some of us that this is not so simple and I'll tell you why, because when you look at the cross, sometimes you think, is that really necessary? Are you saying that that had to happen for me, to be close to God? I think I've thought that sometimes, and certainly I know a lot of Christian people who've been Christians for a long time who've started to disbelieve it. And I think that's because we live in a culture where we don't like to make ourselves feel bad at all. We're sort of against making people feel guilty or ashamed. And that's actually a good thing, I think. I don't think it's great to make people feel terrible about themselves. 
But the thing is, if you look at the cross and you stop thinking, that's the payment for my sin, then it just becomes this terrible, tragic story again. It doesn't mean anything. And you end up trying to be a good enough person again for God on your own merit. And that's sad. God says, that's not the way I've made this way, this beautiful way for you to come close to me and you are free. Well, I think that sometimes that happens too in the church. It's not just our culture, but sometimes in the church we focus on the sin. And I said that this is a love story, didn't I? And so I don't want to leave you feeling like that today. What I want to say to you is that when you look at the cross, it's like looking at a coin. A coin has two sides. And if you look at the cross and it just makes you feel terrible about yourself, that's the price of my sin, which is true. You need to flip the coin because the other side of the coin is God saying, yeah, and I did this because I love you. It's the means to the end, okay? God is not a shamer. God doesn't shame us. Actually, when we confess our sins at the cross, the first thing that happens is that God says, I forgive you. Come on. I forgive you. Come and be with me. Let me love you. I think that um, most of my life I've been quite a proud person, a defensive person, excusing my sin often. That's often was one of the things that got me in trouble at home, never admitting that I was wrong. But the older I get and the better I get at going to the cross and admitting my sin, the more I've got to experience God's forgiveness and love, and it's a good, good thing. It's a virtuous circle. You know how that goes? You do the good thing and you keep going, and the more you do it, the better you get and the easier it becomes. It's like you get the coin and you do this and then you spin it, okay? And you want to be the person who can spin the coin, all right, yes, I need Jesus' death for me on the cross. And I know that God loves me. What a wonderful thing it would be for each one of us here, I think, but also for us as a community to really keep grasping more and more of God's great love for us, his forgiveness. So let's be cross people, people of the cross. Let's keep looking to Jesus and rejoicing together. Let me pray for us. Loving Lord God, we thank you so much that for all the times we have forgotten you or made ourselves our own gods, you have never stopped loving us. You have never given up on us. And today as we look at the cross, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you persisted and you paid the price for us. Help us to Embrace this fact as you embrace us to put on your holiness and to live in love for you and for one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The burial of Jesus. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. <laughs> 